This is Winning Slowly, taking the long view on technology, religion, ethics, and art, because doing good work takes time. I'm Chris Kreitschow. And I'm Stephen Caradini. And today we're going to talk about body modification. And this ranges from knee replacement surgeries to getting uh, your body modified in more exotic and sort of distinctive ways, such as having implants of technology and other sorts of future things. So it imagine... also includes tattoos and ear piercings and all sorts of things. That's true. We're mostly not going to talk about tattoos and ear piercings, though. We will cover them briefly as part of our discussion of conscience in relation to body modification. Mm-hmm. But primarily, we're going to be talking about the sorts of things that you're going to be hearing about in the next three to five to 10 to 15 years about how can we adapt our bodies either at the very beginning stages of life or the very late stages of life, or if you choose to do so for whatever reason uh, in the middle stages of life to enhance your life, whether that means restore certain abilities that have decreased or were never present uh, that were uh, not there when you were born through some deficit or that have deteriorated with age or talking about people who are choosing to change their bodies in specific ways to make themselves able to, you know, open doors without having a key and things of this nature and other types of futurey things. Imagine all of your sci-fi stuff into the future like all of the implants and things like Deus Ex video game and Gattaca and all of that stuff, Minority Report. That's where we're going. Sort of. Sort of. Over the last couple of weeks, we've laid out something of a vision for where we're going over this whole season, a specifically Christian ethic of technology and art and ethics and so on. In this context... Some of these questions get really complicated and nuanced because nuanced, nuanced, nuanced. This is the thing I say too often sometimes, but that's okay. My wife also likes the word nuanced. So hi, Jamie. I mean, to be fair, this is going to be a fairly nuanced discussion. <laughs> it's it, Yes, and that's why. The gradations of difference between the technologies will be significantly important. Yes. When we talk about bodily modification— We mean everything from the knee replacement surgery that my mom had a year and a half ago to turning yourself into the dragon lady Tiamat. I will put a link to the show notes of a person who has modified their body very substantially to look something like a reptile to whether you should be allowed to replace some of your limbs so that you can outperform the natural limits of the human body, or whether someone who has lost limbs should be able to use their replacement limbs in the Olympics if, say, those limbs, those replacement limbs seem to give them an advantage over what the human body could naturally do, up to and including whether you should put magnets in your fingers to detect magnetic fields in the world around you, or to put an NFC card reader in your hand so that you can send people information just by waving your hand over a terminal instead of using your phone. Every one of those kinds of things is or has been done, 
and many more are coming because our ability to miniaturize technology continues to improve and our ability to embed technology in the human body to create in some sense cyborgs continues to improve and closely related wearables continue to grow in in some corners for some definitions of that market we're not really going to get into wearables today though i think they're Actually, a very closely related topic in terms of how we relate bodily to technology. Yeah, Chris thinks that the Apple Watch and the Google Glass uh, have little in common in terms of their functionality. He thinks also in their hideousness or lack thereof. That that does matter. <laughs> That's why we're not going to get into it today. <laughs> yes. But one of the things that is perhaps most essential to do when we go to evaluate all of these kinds of technologies, is to ask questions about how they affect us and how they affect us in community. And specifically what I mean by that is that when we go to do a hip replacement, we are doing something both like and unlike replacing an entire leg with a replacement leg that allows us to run faster than humans can naturally run. And in the case that we did that because of an amputation that was necessary for medical reasons, we're doing something different yet again from someone who says, you know, I want to just be the fastest person alive. I'm going to amputate my perfectly healthy legs and have them replaced intentionally so that I can run faster than a human can naturally run. And analogous to those, but different yet again, are practices such as dramatic tattooing of the self or modifying one's body. One of the things that's been relatively popular, enough to be something you've almost certainly seen, is putting gauges in one's ears, for example, that substantially reform at a minimum, depending on how you're thinking of it, possibly deform the human ear or the human nose or so on. And well, these does, things are It does in... deform them in that the original form yes. is not there. It is deformed. Right. And permanently so, unless you were to have some sort of restorative surgery. And these things are not totally novel in these latter cases. Tattoos and substantial bodily modification in the form of various kinds of piercings are as old as we have almost any record of anything in human culture mm -hmm. and exist across cultures of all sorts of technological capacities and orientations. So these things are fundamentally human questions, but they're thrown into new light by new technological capabilities. No one could put an NFC card reader in their hands before about 2012 because NFC cards didn't exist before about 2012. And the ability to transmit information to or from your body in these kinds of ways is novel and does pose novel challenges for the way we think about things as a result. However, this episode is not going to be a categorical list of this is fine and this is not fine. <laughs> what we are more interested in doing is thinking about the ethical concerns that any person or group of people should go through when any of this body modification stuff is put in front of you. Right. Not so much a delineated list of what is or isn't fine. More like a list of questions you should think about to figure out whether it's fine. Right. And so the first thing that's most important is to determine what the effects of this technology are. And there's a study that we will link in the show notes that did something along these lines. They asked people about joint replacements and vision. 
and they said, do you support body modification to restore vision that has been lost? And 95% of people were like, yeah, that's totally fine. That seems like a thing we should be doing. And I'm in that category. I've had laser surgery done on my eyes. I think it's fine. I'm actually pretty happy about it. Yeah. And then there was uh, various different categories you can see uh, that go down to the bottom of the list, which says vision enhancements to improve normal vision greatly beyond normal human capabilities. And uh, 44% of people thought that this was something that would be uh, acceptable. No, oh, I should say vision enhancements to restore vision was at 96%, not 95%. So ranging from almost unanimous to slightly less than half. So even though slightly less than half is far off from near unanimous, that's a significant number of people that think it's okay to turn yourself into a person who can see super far distances. That's interesting. Uh, They did the same thing with joint replacements and joint replacements to restore mobility was at 95% acceptance. It was appropriate to do so. So that's again, near unanimous, but joint replacements to improve mobility and performance to a level greatly beyond normal human capabilities. Only 33% of people thought it was appropriate to do that, which is still one third of people, one out of three people who were in this survey. So that's not trivial, but it's also not near unanimous. No. And so thinking about what a thing does, what this body modification does, has a significant impact on determining, A, its general public acceptability, but also at a smaller level, it changes how people think about these things. Mm -hmm. And that's good and right, because it is a very different kind of thing. This is what I meant when I was talking about those kinds of gradations. To replace a joint to allow someone to walk who's been losing their mobility because their joints are aging than it is to replace a joint to let someone run as fast as a cheetah. Right. Those are those are aiming at different things, and they're taking a very different tack to the human body as it is given to us. One of them says the human body is a thing we can do whatever we wish with. The other says the human body is worth restoring to its best functionality when we can. And there's no sharp delineation. There's no point where you can say exactly where someone has transitioned between those two views, or even whether someone who's getting a surgery for reason A is okay with reason B. But there is nonetheless a distinction between those two views of the human body. Is the human body something designed and given to us? And are there limits on how much we should modify it? People's general instinct here seems to say yes, and Stephen and I would say yes, where that limit is, where that line is drawn, comes down to these broader kinds of ethical considerations. Right. What is a human for? Right. Is a human body, what is a human body for? Is it merely a tool inessential to ourselves when we start talking about many of the transhumanists and ideas about uplifting ourselves into states of pure mind in a computer cloud. Clearly, people who take that view think the body is incidental to what it means to be human. Stephen and I, following the Christian ethic we outlined last week and valuing 
what we see as fundamental to Christian ethics in the incarnation of God himself, think the human body matters an awful lot, and its givenness and its ordered shape matter a lot. You can also check out Matt Anderson's uh, book on this called Earthen Vessels, where he traces out some of these similar issues for an ethic of the body as not sort of gnostically evil, uh, sort of Mm -hmm. not opposed to the life of the mind, the spirit, the soul, the person, more of an integrated approach to to human nature. And this also goes back to the discussion that we had last week about what is the overall sort of eschatology, the sort of functional progression of the world, and how does the human body fit into that? The human body was originally mm-hmm. created perfect and is subject to the fall. And as a result, there are things that we can do to try to restore the natural state that we were given, but we understand that that's a fallen state, so we're always going to be in a state of decay, and so there's this sort of tension between no matter how much you modify, whether rightfully in an ethic or wrongfully in an ethic, you're still going to be chasing this impossible sort of ideal in this particular bodily form. And so that has to be factored in as well. You have to think about when we modify this body, when you get a knee replacement surgery, you're allowing motion again, but that knee replacement is not going to last forever. If you live long enough, you're going to have to have it replaced. There's an ability to have the kinds of ameliorative effects of the problems of the fall that we talked about last week, ways to do some kinds of restoration, some kinds of healing. But we can see the limits there that Stephen was just pointing to when we consider end-of-life treatment and palliative care and some of the discussions that have rightly come up in the last decade or so about that. There comes a point when certain kinds of things we do may sustain someone's life, but not well, and when, in fact, we would do better to allow people to die naturally and with dignity rather than sustaining their lives at great cost to them. And it is difficult to say that, but it's particularly difficult to say that if your understanding of human existence means, well, that's it, sucks, you're done now. When you take that view, it's much easier to say, we should preserve someone's life at all costs. Because that's all they get. Because that's all you get. There's nothing else. If you have a view that says resurrection is coming, it's easier, given that Christians do the same thing. It's certainly no guarantee. It's still hard, man. Death is right. never easy, even if you can And it's not good or right. Like those who have hope, but it's right. It's hard. And so But you you have perhaps a ground there right. to say There are times to allow people to die well right? and to then reflect on it. But all of that gets us back at this broader point, which says there there are in our ethical systems, and this is true for all of our ethical systems, Stephen and I are Christians, so we're going to keep coming back to ours, but there are these grounds for reasoning and reasoning rightly about what the limits are to the things we ought to try to do. We see them at their extreme in many ways, in end-of-life situations, thinking about palliative care versus trying to do yet another surgery. But many of those same concerns ripple back in as we're thinking about and talking about, should we get our fourth hip replacement surgery? 
Should we get our sixth heart valve replacement? Should we get our first of each of those? Right. Those kinds of things, even in the purely therapeutic categories, nonetheless have limits on them. And when we move out of the therapeutic category, where they are least ethically complicated, into the enhancement category, and of course, therapy is a kind of an enhancement, but when we talk about enhancing beyond normal human abilities, or where we're talking about giving different abilities, whether we should call that enhancement or not is perhaps a, another important question, mm -hmm. the contours of the debate shift. And then we have an important question. How how much should individuals decide these things alone versus how much should they be deciding them in the context of their communities and perhaps even being bound to some extent by their communities in good ways? What are the trade-offs and downsides of being bound by a community? Mm -hmm. And how does that fit into a regulatory scheme? Mm -hmm. And we're halfway through the episode, so we better get moving. Yeah. So the, the main question here that Chris and I have is – at a policy level, there are plenty of policies that go on in this country, in your country, if you're not in America, that you don't like. That's just a fact of policy. Even things that you may have like compromises in the sort. Like there are things that you don't like about policy. And unless you really, really don't like them or have a significant moral and ethical reason to do so, you don't just get up and leave your country. <laughs> The move to Canada canard is a canard. But that's a canard. And so at a policy level, we just live with things we don't like all the time. But at a community level, it's much harder to live with things you don't like. And in some ways, you generally don't have to do it if it's too abhorrent to you. You can just... And that's both good and bad. It's both good and bad. You can just quit. Should you, A... <laughs> and B, when or if you're not allowed to, why is that a thing? And that's complicated because it determines how you interpret not just your own opinions about this, but how you interpret the good nature or bad nature or the goodwill or the bad will of the communities that you are in and making opinions and community decisions with. Right. So to take one example here, if your church says it is always wrong to perform any kind of even purely therapeutic surgery and you need a heart valve replacement or you need a knee replacement. And there's, and there's no other reason that this community is a bad community for you. Like this is a community right. that you have agreed to be a part of regardless of the ups and downs of community life in general. Right. And then you're considering and you don't necessarily agree. Do you submit to your community? Do you not? And I think as Americans, we tend to assume, well, obviously I just go do what I want because we live in an atomized individualism and we assume that I, Chris Greichow, can do whatever the heck I want. This isn't always the case in all cultures in the world. It is not all the case in all cultures in the world today, and it certainly has not been historically. There are downsides to being totally bound by the expectations of your culture and your community. Right. On the other hand, if we say that a community has no ability to bind what we do ethically, if we say that my church has no authority to speak to my life and say, 
this is wrong, then we lose the ability as communities, as a church, for example, to look at anything and do that. Now, perhaps we could say in this area, we think this is sort of adiaphora, it's outside the bounds of things that we think there is room to put firm feet down on, and maybe that's so. But of course, then the question of what goes in that bucket and where does your community get to speak authoritatively comes up. And then if you're in a completely different context, so say that you're in an activist organization, this happens all the time where various activist groups have various specific dogma, specific things that they are founded on that become onerous to various people within that group. And this is how you get fractions of uh, groups. And sometimes those fractions get resolved and sometimes they result in new groups. Um, I don't know of any that have happened on the basis of body modification, but the point of thinking through these, these issues is that body modification is, while not at the moment the main concern, there will be significant things that interact with all of these communities based on body modification. If we start to have technological implants, we're going to have the same sorts of data problems and the same sorts of privacy problems that we have with Cambridge Analytica times 10, which means we're going to have the same sorts of policing problems. We're going to have the same sorts of profiling problems. We're going to have the same sorts of uh, economic and environmental issues. All of these issues of body modification are going to come to roost in these particular groups. And then you may indeed have individual groups who say, in the same way that people now say, delete Facebook, people may say, to be in this group, you cannot have an RFID chip. You're not allowed. Whatever that group is, whether it's a church, activist, organization, whatever, there will also be groups that say, if you want to be in this group, you have to have a chip. You must. That's part of what we do here. And so the ways that we think about body modification And the ways that we think about communities, whether they are religious or activist or even just societies that we choose to to be in, uh, de Tocqueville's uh, communities of association, we're going to come into issue with this particular topic. Right. And one of the things that we think is important is that we not continue to simply take the atomistic individualism tack on this and all the other things we're going to talk about. There is a necessity for room for conscience, but there's also a necessity of thoughtfully deciding questions like this as a community and then submitting to one another's wisdom on that and not assuming that I as the individual am sufficiently wise as to decide all these things for myself. Particularly... The reason that we mention this uh, and one of an examples of this is there's an article that we've linked in the show notes about a person who was an early adopter of body modification. And she had a magnet put in her hand for various reasons. You can read about it. And towards the end of this article, which is a sort of reflective saying this was not a very good thing in terms of. Uh, the future that did not appear, this sort of body hacking modification future. She goes and talks to someone and tells her that she has a magnet in her hand. And he's like, don't put a magnet in your hand. (laughs) And she decided to not tell him that she had already done this. (laughs) So there's this sort of tension here between this community of people who are interested in body hacking did these sorts of things in the early 2010s. 
that were sort of edgy and interesting and sort of wanted to go in a certain direction that society at the moment has not particularly gone in. It may, again, in the future, uh, Chris has argued that this might just be the uh, trough of disillusionment on the innovation chart. We'll link that as well. There's going to be so many links. Sorry, guys. <laughs> the diffusion of innovation chart. But uh, regardless of that, uh, we do think there will be some amount of body modification in the future. And we think that if there had been a larger community, perhaps early on in the 2010s, when this person was deciding whether or not to do uh, body modification, there may have been a different outcome. Now, we're not saying that this person was right or wrong in an absolute ethical sense. That's sort of the point of this whole episode. But if there was a different community surrounding her, then perhaps there would have been a different outcome. Right. And particularly so if there were a willingness to listen to the wisdom of the community. And communities aren't always right. This is what makes these kinds of things challenging. Churches get things wrong a lot. And so do activist groups and so do bowling groups. And so does every community. I point to churches specifically because that's the most important, formative community to which I belong, and it's one to which in many ways I intentionally submit, and I use that word on purpose, yeah. because there are times and places where I don't necessarily want to go that way, but God's people are going that way, and okay, I'm going to try to to follow and participate rightly. That's a hard thing. It's especially hard for us late modern Americans, but... What do you do when the church gets it wrong? When the church says, and again, or activist group or community group or whatever it may be, the organization, when they say, you must implant this thing in your body and you say, uh, I was with you up to this point, guys, but I'm not putting that chip in my cheek. Yeah. Or they say, thou shalt never, ever put any kind of anything into your body that is not organically grown. Uh, maybe I don't think that's a moral issue that I need to stake my life on. Right. And so there's a, a complicated balance between the submission to a group signing up in a moral and ethical sense to be a part of what this community is doing, to ride with them where they go, uh, to be able to make decisions in where they go, to help make those decisions, to be part of that community, depending on the various ways that the community is structured uh, and the tension to where when you're on the wrong side of the decision, how far do things have to go wrong before you say, look, this is the hill that we're going to die on. And this is the, the mm -hmm. end of my commitment to this particular community. We tend, Chris and I tend to think that people make that decision too quickly, but we also <laughs> do not say that no one should ever leave communities. Right. This is a thing that is sometimes necessary, and particularly if you're plugged into an ethical stance and you have a particular set of, of ethics and morals that you feel are consistent with the type of life you want to be living, if a community that you're in starts to go directly counter to those, you have the chance to either try to change those or leave, and that's pretty right. much it. Right. And so deciding when that is, again, goes back to the very beginning of the episode where we said, what is the, the overall point of this technology? What is the meaning of this technology? Is it trying to restore the human body to whatever 
uh, ideal we can achieve in its fallen state? Or is it trying to supersede uh, our given state? Is it trying to purposely modify ourselves for aesthetic or individualist reasons? Or is it part of attempting to have a good life and be a part of a community? Because having a knee replacement surgery makes you part of a community um, in a mobile way, whereas not having one makes you part of a community in an immobile way. You are part of a community in a different way. Uh, and it takes more effort for people to bring you into that community uh, if you are immobile. And it is something that perhaps being immobile and in a community is a necessary and good thing for the community. They need to learn how to do that sort of community life. Maybe not. But I think it all depends on what is the underlying ethic here. If there's a consistent ethic that cuts across what yours is. Of course, this means you have to have one. But if there's a consistent <laughs> ethic that cuts across what yours is, you have to decide how badly that cuts and when is the time to say this is too far from my convictions. Right. I'll close my thoughts here by saying I think we would do well to largely embrace the therapeutic, but with perhaps some more skepticism than we do. Maybe not assume it, but think about it. Think about the trade-offs, the costs, the the costs communally, et cetera. And to be much more suspicious of the enhancing. And I would I would actually say similar of technology across the line, not merely bodily modification. When we find things that help us do well what we were made to do, this is good. When we find things that enable us to do things we don't necessarily seem to have been made to do, we should be more cautious and we should be more careful. And that's hard for me as a software engineer, because in many ways, much of what I am about doing is about enabling people to do things across distances that we could certainly never have done of our bodies alone. But I think nonetheless, that's exactly the kind of stance we should take broadly here is to be more skeptical, more suspicious, not outright rejecting, but more skeptical and more suspicious. And that goes for radically transforming your body, especially. It goes for the next social media wave that hits. It goes for the next blockchain Bitcoin blargle wargle that hits. And yes, I said blargle wargle because that's roughly what I mm. think of most of the hype right mm. now. It, it goes for all of these kinds of considerations. Should we embrace them willy-nilly? No, we should not. We should consider the ramifications for us and for our community of our embracing them and be slower to adopt them, which, again, is hard when you're a tech nerd like me who likes a new, shiny, cool gadget thing. Right. And I think the end of my thoughts is that being in community, we again, we didn't touch the policy issue too much because the policy goes on whether you like it or not, but being in community is a thing that has to be done with care and thought. And I think that part of the reason that we enter and leave communities uh, so quickly and part of the reason that communities seem onerous to us is that we don't think about the positives or the negatives of community life in consistent ethical ways. We seem to separate out the various ways that we think about community. When it's good, it's good, it's good, it's generally good. 
And when communities are bad, they're you ready to leave. But we don't tie them together. And particularly when those issues are related to actual topical issues, when you start thinking this community is good because we believe this thing or this community is bad because they now are believing this thing, we have to parse out what those community beliefs are coming from, where those underlying tensions are coming from, the direction shift if there was one, and compare it against our own consistent ethic. And so this requires some individual work. Uh, some of that community work is going to be forming ethics in people. Um, so you're not a total atomistic individual, but there is <laughs> a point where you're going to read a book on your own and you're going to read a blog post on your own and it's going to form the way you think. And you have to bring that knowledge to the community and you have to interpret and discuss and develop a community life out of these individual people working together on these issues. And it will, in the near future, be issues of body modification. Not only issues of body modification, but those will come up. Mm-hmm. The intro music was Quartessence by Krim Koenig. We used the song with permission. Thanks so much. Uh, please don't use it without permission. Thanks as well, as always, to this month's sponsors, including Andrew Fallows and Kurt Klassen. If you'd like to sponsor the show, if you like what we're doing, you can go to patreon.com slash winning slowly or cash.me slash dollar sign winning slowly. And I said, if you like what you're, we're doing, but I mean, if you want to sponsor the show and hate what we're doing, you can sponsor the show for yeah, that. Yeah. I mean, if you're hate too, listening just... to us, like more power to you. <laughs> I don't, I don't know why you would keep doing that, but if you're on that train, like keep on, you can follow us on Twitter at winning slowly at Chris Kreitcho at Scaradini or email us at hello at winningslowly.org. We would love to hear from you. There's lots of corner cases that I was thinking about even as we were talking that mm -hmm. I didn't have a chance to touch on. Half an hour is not enough. Well, we've got a long season. Don't worry. We'll get back to all these issues. <laughs> so if you have questions and comments and what about this thing, we would love to hear that. Uh, thanks again for listening to us talk about stuff. We'll see you next week. and leave your country <laughs> the move to canada canard is a canard. It's a canard and although there there were definitely uh it, it anecdotal at least evidence of such a thing happening in uh november of 2016 but <laughs> um strictly speaking in two weeks well you know like <laughs> soon soon <laughs>